That was awesome. Y'all sounded good. Well, I think we could take that on the road. You know, that was good. Ephesians has been my series most of last year, and I'm, uh, Lord willing, going to finish it up pretty early on in, in this year. We come this morning continuing that series um, to chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6. We finished up the end of last year uh, a series on marriage, which is the end of chapter 5. You notice as you get into chapter 6 of Ephesians, the first four verses continue this uh, thought on how we live submissive lives before God, and it begins with children obeying parents, verse 1. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, speaking of the fifth commandment. Uh, Verse 3, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And then verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So as I, as I look at that section of Scripture, I wanted us to have uh, some time at the beginning of this year to think about how to do biblical parenting, how to be the children of God, how to win children for God, how to raise children for heaven. So I'm going to do four or five messages on letting these verses be our foundation, but to think through um, the principles that uh, God's given us here for biblical parenting. As I read that and reread that several times, thinking of the messages that would come out of that, um, and then realizing that this message was my first message in a new year when most people make resolutions, I sat down and thought, well, it'd be pretty cool. I've been a son and a father and a grandfather to just sit down and think about if I got to do life over again in any one of those categories, what would I resolve to do uh, differently? Uh, what would be my resolutions as a parent now that I've been through the process? How would I do it again and do it right this time, you know? So I sat down and I started writing resolutions down. And after I came up with about five or six, I started looking at them and trying to alliterate them as preachers do, you know, so they would you know, sound good. Um, and then I got to realize as I was alliterating and, and working on them that uh, I was saying the same thing over and over just different ways. And instead of 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 10, I was trying to write 10 resolutions. Instead of 10 resolutions, I really had two. And those two resolutions came just all around the whole concept of loving God and loving one another. Look with me at Matthew 22, because this is the great commandment, and you know it. um, But let's look at it and review it. In Matthew 22, beginning at verse 36. And, uh, or what, you know, um, what do we need to know? And this is Jesus' answer. Verse 36. Teacher, which is, the, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And as I started looking at my ten resolutions, ten rules, I said, you know, they all depend on two things. I cannot do these resolutions that I have unless I am wholeheartedly devoted to loving God with all my heart, soul, and strength. 
I cannot do what I need to do as a parent unless I am loving one another as myself. Now think about that for a minute. Wouldn't it be nice if parenting was simple? Wouldn't it be nice if you only had to do two things to be a good parent? And what if those two things was just love God and love one another as self? After all, God is our Father, our parent. And our Father says to His children, I got two things for you to do. This will sum up everything I'm always trying to tell you. And these two things are love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love one another as yourself. It just seems natural that if our Father parents us, if He trains up us to do those two things, that it would make sense that we as parents should be training our kids to do those two things as well. And I think sometimes we get really clouded in the details that we miss the big blocks, the big picture. And the big picture is to raise kids that are loving God with all their heart, wholeheartedly. And the big picture is to raise kids that are loving one another as themselves. So let's think about that. I'm going to break that down for you this morning into three categories. We know those are the commands. Just how do we do that? I want us to think about how do you love God wholeheartedly? How do you love one another as yourself in the context of creation, in the context of the church, and in the context of civilization? So as you can see, this, these principles God's given us of love work out where we live. First of all, we live in the whole context of creation. From the moment a baby is born, we see the baby burst, and, and we're just in awe that God has created this little one. We begin to think, how did that just happen? And in, as the baby grows, it's not long before the baby wonders, where did I come from? Whose am I? How did I get here? It's always this context of how did this creation Occur, And I want us to think about that. We all need to know where we came from and why we are here. We need to know that. We hunger for that. We thirst for that. And it's parents' job to give that information out. Where we came from and why we are here. And we're able to do that because we're believers who understand a creator. We know we were created, we know where we came from, and we, He gives us reasons for why we're here. So we can answer those questions. That's our job as believing parents. Look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 18. Premier passage on our creation. Two daughters with babies in the womb. And this is a passage describing that experience. Psalm 139, beginning at verse 13. God says, You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Notice the psalmist saying, Where did I come from? I was created by God. The right response to that is to immediately praise Him and to thank Him. 
wonderful are your works, O God. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. I mean, I couldn't see it, but you could see it. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they should outnumber the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. Have you ever seen a baby find its foot for the first time? You know, or its hand? It's, it's such a cute moment. You, you just see this baby gazing, and it's like they didn't know their hand would move. And they're in awe, or they, they touch their foot and finally realize it's theirs. Somehow the sensory connections are connecting. And as they do that, you begin rehearsing as a parent the explanations they are hungering for and thirsting for. How did I get this foot? How did I get this hand? How is it that I'm able to see? And you begin to describe for them, God did that. God created that for you. God created that for you. And, and God must, He must think much of you to give you such a marvelous tool as your fingers or your toes or your eyes. And the right response to this God who has formed you this way is to thank Him, to be grateful to Him, to praise Him. And what is the definition of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? It's exalting God. It's being grateful to God. It's thanking God. You are beginning to teach your child the number one thing. Have nothing before you but to praise and to adore and to thank God. It begins in this context of creation. And as that child grows and wonders about their purpose, you know, you begin to share. You're, you were born with wonder for God, your purpose is to praise Him, to adore Him, to thank Him, to embrace Him in love because of all He does for you. He must think much of you to give you so much. Matter of fact, Psalm 139 says, He thinks more of you, He has more thoughts of you than there are grains, grains of sand on the, the seashore. Now, your baby might not have ever even seen the seashore yet. But he or she knows that's a lot. He thinks more of you than there are leaves on the trees. He thinks more of you than there are stars in the sky. And the right response to that is just utter awe. Unbelievable. God loves me so. Mom, Dad, what should be my response? It should be to love Him back wholeheartedly. No one, when you go through life, no one will love you more than God. No one has. No one will. Love Him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what we begin to teach at the moment of creation. And it's a ministry not only to God, but it's a ministry to others. We know from creation, and I'm not going to take the time to go to Genesis 1 and 2, but you know from Genesis 1 and 2, those passages are developed to show you purposes for both the male and the female. God created a male-female race, genders. He says, I'm going to create man in my own image, male and female. And the male he creates first. 
begins to show us that this male has a ministry to society and to the female who's coming. And the female is created, says that she might help the male. And you begin to see immediately in the first two chapters of Scripture that we're not to do life alone. We are here to do life loving one another. It's by God's design. Second commandment. Not only should we love God, but in the context of creation, we should be loving one another as ourselves. That's how God designed it. That's how life works. We were created for this. After we get into, uh, into Christ, uh, you see Christ fill us with His Spirit and give us wonderful gifts. Uh, direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, where He talks about the variety of gifts we have. Verse 4 says, Now there are, are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, a variety of ministries, the same Lord, God creating all these gifts, all these ministries. Verse 6 there are a variety of, of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So I've got gifts. You've got some gifts. I didn't earn my gifts. I have gifts of preaching and teaching and administration and leadership. I have these gifts. I didn't earn them. They were granted to me. That's how you get gifts. Somebody just gives them. God gave me these gifts, but he immediately says, I didn't give them so you can exalt yourself, so that you are somebody. I gave them so that you would have a ministry impact on other people. You're to love God, thank Him for the gifts, and you're to use the gifts in loving one another. It says every single one of the church is given a gift so that they can be in ministry to others, loving one another. Ephesians 4, 16 reminds you of that verse because it calls us, uses the analogy of the body and, and we're each a joint. And it says here, uh, Ephesians 4, 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. All right. Every one of us have been designed for ministry. We've got the male-female ministries, but then in the church we have these spiritual gifts designed for ministry, and every one of us must do our part of ministry because that causes the whole body to be built up in love. He says it's just proper. The body doesn't work unless everybody's doing their part. And so you're parenting, right? You're teaching your kids. You've been created You've been designed to love God. You've also been designed to love one another. And when you're brought into the church, that, that design, that ministry God's equipped you for, gifted you for, it's going to build people up in love. You see this, this whole concept that just, we're always teaching, loving God and loving one another. It's why we were designed to be constantly praising God enjoying him being a part of the body of christ building it up uh john chapter one thinking of the the christmas thing christ coming into the world and it says but nothing came into the world apart from him everything we have we have because there was a creator who created us and gave it to us john fifteen five says and we can do nothing without him apart from him he's the vine we're the branches 
it's, it just keeps pushing us back to loving God. All that we have, all that we do, we do so that we can love God. And then Christ is always pushing us to one another to love one another because he's given us all these things uh, for the purpose of building one another up. Now, of course, we need to remember original sin in all of this. Sorry, but your child is not born innocent. Your child is born sinful. So that your child has a natural inclination to want to love himself. himself. Your child has a natural inclination to want to exalt himself. We're constantly teaching, no, 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 no. Turn from that. Repent of that. You're supposed to exalt God. You're supposed to exalt, minister to, love one another. That's why we're here. That's what we do. That's first resolution of parenting is to love God. Second, to love one another. Now, let me put it in the context of the church. We have already said in Genesis 1 and 2, we weren't designed to do life alone. Let me say it a different way. We're not designed to do life solo. Never did God intend for our gifts, never did God intend for our ministry to be solo. It's, 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 it's a collective ministry that he wants for his people. Look with me at 1 Peter 2, verse 5, and then we'll look at uh, verse 9 and 10. Just uh, unbelievable declaration of the church. Hebrews, James, Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Speaking of the church, I'm just skipping to sake of time. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now think about that. As a parent, you're teaching your kids in the context of creation, you were, why were you created? Where did you come from? What are you to do? It's to love God and to love one another. Every week I'm bringing you into the church. In the context of the church, what should you be doing? Again, it's loving God and, and loving one another. And as your child's a little confused at that, you might want to pull this verse out and say, this is what we do when we get to church. We are living stones. God's working on us. He's building us. We're like each of us is a stone. We're part of a building. We're part of this thing called the church. And this church is being built into a spiritual house. It's being built into a holy priesthood. And what do priests do? They offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God. And the only way they're acceptable to God is through Christ. Now, would you just think about this for a minute? Who gets to do this? How unbelievably cool is this? Who, who gets to lift up to God an acceptable sacrifice? Who gets to take something and say, God, I know this is pleasing to you? Who gets to do that? Only the church. Only believers. Only those who are these, these living stones. So we come together, not just to be filled, not just to get something. We come to give something. And what we are giving as we sing and do our tithes and as we listen to God's Word, we're lifting up to God 
a, a sacrifice that is pleasing to him because we, he knows it comes to, from us through Christ. And we share that with their kids. Kids, you realize that you have been born into the family of God. You are a child of a believer. And as a child of a believer, you've been baptized, you've been brought into church, and we're in church. And, and as, as those who are in church, we get to taste the sacraments. We get to hear the Word of God. We get to see the work of the Spirit. We get to see the fullness, the gifts of the Spirit all out through the body of Christ. We come together and we sing and we praise and we listen and we, we, we uh, encourage one another. And all of this is lifting up to God an acceptable sacrifice. This is what pleases God. And this is what we get to do. Who on earth gets to do that? The rest of the world does not get to do this. Only we get to do it. We are the elite of the elite, the special of the special. You weren't just born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You were born with the holy scepter in your mouth. You get to lift up to God as a priest. It's sacrifices that are acceptable to him. So awesome, so unbelievable, the privilege of being part of the church. And if your child says, I'm not there yet, I, I'm not the church, so you don't understand. You were baptized at an early age, and we have begun praying for you. You, what you need to realize, you're not here on this planet to choose whether or not you're going to follow Christ or not. No, 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 no. You are here because God has chosen you. He chose me, your believing father or your believing mother, and he has promised me a holy seed. And so I've marked you out as his. He has already chosen you. Every day you are in rebellion against him if you do not receive him as Lord and Savior. You must turn from your sin. You must receive him because he wants you to lift up holy sacrifices. You were chosen for this purpose. We are not raising you to make choices on how you're going to live your life in this world. You already have a purpose. You already have a creator. You already have a Lord. Quit denying him. Receive him and begin to lift up sacrifices acceptable to him. That's your design. And as parents, our job is to constantly teach. Why would I tell you this to my child? Because their job is to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And their job is to love the church as their neighbor, as themselves. And you see that. It keeps going. Uh, oh, I lost my place. First Peter. Look at this. It's just special, special language of us. First Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, I get too excited about this. Mm. This is good. I can't even find Peter again. There it is. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but you are now the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, who gets to be these people? 
You weren't born this way. You were, you were not born being one of these, but this is who you are now. You're, you're chosen. You're royal. You're holy. You are treasured. You are God's own possession. How could you walk away from that? Receive him. You must, you must love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You must love his church, his people. They are so precious. He's called us out of darkness into this marvelous light, this revelation the world doesn't see because they're in darkness even now without hope and without God. But we see it. The light is dawn for us that we are now the people of God. We've received mercy. And that's all we needed was mercy, forgiveness, and cleansing of our sins. Easily, easily I hope you begin to see how significant it is to be a creation in the church. The church is owned by who? Christ. Christ says, I will build whose church? My church. Christ owns the church. Christ is building the church. Christ has promised that the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. That the church is the one institution that makes it to heaven. The church is the only institution since Moses was uh, wandering in the wilderness as they have been called out to be God's possession. God's people is the only institution that has survived the test of time. It's the only institution that will. We are privileged to be that church. And our kids need to know in the context of the church that they are loved, that they have this ministry to love as well. I hope you uh, understand that our kids can easily see, easily see what is precious to us, what is first to us, what is uh, exciting to us. Our kids know whether or not we come to church because it's our duty or whether it's our delight. They get it. Immediately, they get this. Week after week. How do you treat the church? How do you show up here? You know, do you show up hungry and thirsty to be the church of God, to love God and to love one another? Because our kids know whether it's our duty, where we're doing it because we think we have to, or we're doing it because we just really delight in it. And, and we, we, we live to love God. We live to love one another. You know, when, when we live to love God and live to love one another, our kids can't wait to get out of the nursery to get with us because they, they know there's something we're so passionate about. They want to see that. They want to experience that with us. This passion, this drive that we have for God and for one another. Um. Some people won't like this, but I need to say it. I, I, as I was thinking through all the, the experiences I've had as a parent, I've heard over and over and over again, David, I get what you, what you say that kids need to be in church, and I get all that. I said, but people say to me, my kids can't come to church. Well, why not? And they said, well, your sermons are too long. They just can't handle it. Okay. I want to tell you, the number one stumbling block for children is not long sermons. Number two, prayers are too long. Everybody closes their eyes. 
eyes and bows their heads and the kids are looking around. It's just what a distraction. And the prayers go on and on. We've been criticizing this church, unbelievable, for praying too much in service. That is not the number one stumbling block for your children, that people bow their heads when they pray and it creates silence and the kids get noisy and gets embarrassing. Yeah, that's not it. The number one stumbling block, uh, I could go on, the language barrier. Uh, everything's, music's on the wall. I mean, my kids can't even read yet. How, how can they participate? It just doesn't work. And so the music's a stumbling block. So the preaching's a stumbling block. The praying's a stumbling block. The music's a stumbling block. The tithing, they tip the tray. I mean, that's a stumbling block. What do we have left? Those are not the stumbling block. I'm going to share with you. I don't, you know, some people won't like this, but this is, this is the truth. The number one stumbling block to worship for kids is a lack of passionate worship in the parents. That's the number one stumbling block. If kids see mom and dad so excited to be here, so excited to pray, so excited to love, the kids get excited as well. There are a lot of people this week, a lot of kids who are going to decide to go to either Clemson University or Alabama University. Why? Because they see parents who are passionate about Clemson University and Alabama University. And that excitement drives them. It's infectious. And the same excitement and passion drives them to Christ and drives them to worship and drives them to the church. How many kids have grown up and see their parents robustly sing praise to God or pray earnestly to God or give sacrificially to God week after week after week? You know, by the time you get your kids out of nursery, say they're four years old, and they're going to be with you till 17, and then they're going to be gone somewhere. Between 4 and 17, your kids get to experience you even to take off six Sundays and all that. 650, more than 650 services of worship. You have 650 Sundays to demonstrate wholehearted love for God and man. And if they see it week after week after week after week, this is the number one reason why we are on this planet and one more one thing we have to do, and that is to love God and to love one another. It's infectious. I want to be like Mama and Daddy. Look at... 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. I love this passage. It's so convicting. You need it, I need it. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Paul says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. You got that one memorized? Have you said that? to your son or daughter. Listen to me, son. Listen to me, my daughter. 
follow, follow Daddy-O. Just follow me. Just do what I do. Live like I live. Why would I do that, Dad? Because I am following Jesus. I love him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Can't you see my passion for him? I love his church. Just follow me because I have given my life to imitating Christ. The number one reason kids go away is because they're not seeing mom and dad sold out to Jesus. We need to be able to say that. I I need to be able to say that to you. Church, follow me. I'm following Jesus. And so if you follow me, you're not going to go someplace you don't want to go. You're going to be running full speed to love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you're going to be loving one another as yourself. That's my passion. That's what I want to see for New Covenant Church in the future. That our passion level just increases. That we, we want to be just overwhelmingly in love with Christ and with one another. And it, that's going to be seen when we meet here, when we gather. That's what we want. And that's what we want for our kids. You want your kids to go to heaven, right? We have to act like it. We must live like it if that's where we want them to be. And living like it is loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, there's so much more you can teach in church. You teach them what to expect from God. You can teach them to sit still. You can teach them how to tithe. You can teach them how to be careful and attentive to God's Word. You can teach them how to minister. I don't have time for all the the little parts of teaching them in the context of church that God gives for us. But get the big block. You certainly need to be teaching them to love God and to love one another. Now, let's jump to the context of civilization. Context of civilization. They can't stay here forever. They can't stay home in our created environment talking about creation forever. We, we must let them go into civilization. And when they go into civilization, they need to learn to go into civilization with dignity and respect. And that's taught as well through these same two commands. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Great verses to have memorized so that they understand this love relationship they they need to have philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves don't merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interest of others have this attitude in yourself which was also in christ jesus so when you go out into the civil world in order to be civil you need to not be in a state of war, fighting for yourself. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Learn to, to minister to others. That's what Christ did. That's what you need to do. You need to consider yourself second. Consider others before yourself. So we need to begin to teach that to them. The first step to being a lady, first step to being a gentleman, is to care about the other. It's more important than ourselves. 
We, we begin to teach that that's what Christ did as he walked among us. He pursued others as more important than himself. And then we not only pursue others as more important, we tolerate the, the funny things they do that we just certainly wouldn't ever do. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning at verse uh, 1, 2, and 3, it says, As the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Guess this. Showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. When you meet other people and they do, they do crazy things, they say crazy things, don't fight. Just tolerate that I need to preserve unity here. I need to pursue peace, not chaos. I don't need to correct everybody about everything. I don't need to even respond to everybody about everything. I need this spirit of humility, this spirit of toleration. Again, preferring others is more important than ourselves. It keeps us from this whole legalistic agenda of everybody has to be like me. They don't. God has created us to be different in so many different ways we need to learn to minister to one another uh, with a lot of toleration but we need to respect people as image bearers so we need to look at everyone as somebody that deserves dignity and respect we need to grow up with understanding the preciousness of life something our society is missing if we're going to love others as ourselves we, we shouldn't be seeking to destroy them or kill them with one exception, unless their, destroy, their purpose, their mission is to destroy people, to destroy us. Uh, Genesis 9, right after the flood, Jesus gave us this principle. I'll re- remind you of it. Genesis 9, verse 6, it says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. We're all made in the image of God, and that's so precious. He says you should, you should treat life as precious. But if somebody wants to kill life, which they shouldn't be doing, they don't need to be here. Kill them. It's, a, it's an important principle. It's a principle we teach that our Creator has given all of us His image. He stamped His image on us, and we need to preserve that. And those who don't get that, who are not living this life to love God and love one another themselves, they need to be eliminated. If, if their task is to destroy God's image bearers, so it's a very serious thing. Our job as parents is to teach them that kind of respect for life so that life is not treated carelessly, something you abort and throw away. But it's something that God has created so that, that creation can respond in love to God and love to one another. And then there's different degrees of respect and love that we teach, and all that is certainly in the church as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, we're missing some of this today, is, is, is this whole idea of um, respect for elderly people, older people, uh, different kinds of people. 1 Timothy chapter 5, he begins to break down some um, categories for us. Verse 1, do not sharply rebuke an older man. So you could rebuke a peer, but don't do that to an older man. It's different. Rather, appeal to him as to a father, 
to younger men as brothers, to older women as mothers, to younger women as sisters. In other words, he's giving you some very practical stuff. He says, you wouldn't say that to your mom, would you? That lady's the same age as your mom. Don't say it to her. You wouldn't say that to your dad, would you? That man's the same age as dad. Don't say it to him. Learn respect. Learn to love people the way God has designed us to love people. Learn to love your brothers and sisters a certain way. Learn to love those who are children, who are under you a certain way. Uh, verse 3, honor widows. That are widows indeed. There's people who are without spouse and family. Maybe you don't have that experience. Learn to, to, to show them respect and kindness and grace and love. So there, there's much in Scripture on how to live a civil life. And we need to teach that to our kids. And it, it comes back, the reason we have this civil life is because of a love for God and a love for one another, God's love for us. You can see this in your kids, whether they are getting it by what comes out of their mouth. You notice that? Because we know that what comes out of their mouth is in their heart, Mark 7. And you should know and have memorized Ephesians 4.29, which is the, the verse that says, no, let no unwholesome word proceed forth out of your mouth. Only such a word is as good to give grace according to the need of the moment. Only such a word as edifies, as builds up and uh, equips others. So we, we, you can notice your kids by what they say. Are, are they getting, the, the goal in parenting is heart transformation. Are their hearts being transformed? You, you know by what comes out of their mouth. You can always measure. What, what are they saying? What are they saying is coming out of their hearts. So we want to constantly evaluate and constantly teach them to love God and love others. I had an example uh, this week uh, hearing a five-year-old say words I'd never heard before. He's, uh, several times back-to-back he said, What the? What the? And I thought, that, where'd that come from? From five years old. And so I said, stop, let, let's stop talk about this something a minute. Okay, well, I just heard you say something I never heard you say before. You said, what the? Where'd you get that language, and what does it mean to you? Because we all know, right? It means more than what the five-year-old probably thinks it means. But I wanted to stop right there. And thankfully, the parents had already taught Ephesians 4.29. I said, you know, the what the is leading you to some place that's not really giving me any grace. It's not building me up. It's not doing that for you. And the five-year-old says, no unwholesome word is to come out. It had it memorized. I said, perfect. I said, this, this phrase is not leading you to a wholesome place. It's time to stop that. Okay. Five years old, they don't know. Parents' job is to teach. This is not wholesome. This is not civil. This is going to lead to chaos and destruction and to bringing down the image of God and man. You don't want to use that language because that language is not enabling you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself. My goal in society is to teach two commands. And it comes up over and over and over and over again. So as you start this new year, Proverbs 22 says, Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old. He won't depart from it. I'm going to spend a whole week on that verse. We'll talk about it. 
but train up a child in the way he should go. Well, what way is that? Two resolutions resolve that I'm going to train up a child in the way he should go. Right now, in your mind's eye, just think. Look, or you can look at another child in this room or think of a child in your mind's eye that really matters to you and think to yourself, I only have two things to teach you. I only need to teach you two things. I need to teach you how to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I need to teach you to love your neighbors yourself. I've seen parents in this church, when their child joins the church, just lose it, weeping. And it's such a cool moment. Because at that moment, the parents get a victory celebration. They are seeing happen before their eyes, their son or daughter confess, I love God, and I love His church. And it's like, I can die right now and go to heaven if I see that in my children, victory, teaching these two things. So resolve that I will put into this everything I've got love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, that they can see that and imitate me as I follow Christ. And I'm going to love one another passionately as I was would myself because we're image bearers. And they will see that and begin to embrace that lifestyle as well. Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy for all of us to centered, self-centered, and miss why we're here, what we're doing. We so desperately need a Savior. We so desperately need to turn from sin and receive mercy. Father, we are the people who have received mercy. We ask that you would bring us back to obedience to your word and your ways, that we might train up the generation behind us in the ways of the Lord, and that they may train up the generation behind them in the ways of the Lord, that we together may be offering up sacrifices to God acceptable through Christ Jesus. Father, what a privilege we have to be the church of the living God. We thank you for your unbelievable love towards us. It's unmeasured. We don't have calculators enough to measure your thoughts towards us. May our passion for you run just as high. May it take all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our soul. May our passion to build up one another as Christ's followers be the same. Cleanse us now that we may celebrate your death, your life for us. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.